0: If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John, John chapter six, to be more specific. We're going to be looking at another one of Jesus's I am statements today. John chapter six. Now, before we start reading in verse 25, let me tell you what has happened so far in chapter six. There's a couple of very famous biblical stories that happen here. John chapter 6 opens up with Jesus feeding the 5,000. Do you remember this story? He takes a little boy's lunch, turns it into a feast for thousands. And then we see just a few verses later, Jesus do this incredible miracle where he walks on the water towards the disciples who are in the boat Peter gets to have this miraculous encounter with Christ as he challenges, I don't know if you're really Jesus or not, tell me to come to you on the water. He gets to get down out of the boat and come to Jesus walking on the water. They finish that, they get back into the boat, they head over to Capernaum and the crowd from last night's feast starts to wake up the next morning. And they start to wake up and they start looking for Jesus, wondering where could he have gone? I didn't see his sleeping bag. Like, where did he go? Uh, I don't see, like, maybe, maybe he went with the disciples. We saw them get into the boat. Maybe somehow he, like, swam out to meet them. Let's, let's get into the boats ourselves. Let's, let's head over to Capernaum because that's, that's generally where Jesus' headquarters has been so far. And then we pick up in John chapter 6. Starting in verse 25, this is what God's word says. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Really never a good idea to quote scripture towards Jesus. Uh, That's historically been a wrong move. Um, Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father Gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Today, I want to talk about food over famine. More importantly, I want to talk about how Jesus is the feast to our famine. Jesus is the feast. To our famine. There's not one of us that would choose to start a famine. Now, before we get too far into this, I want to make sure that we understand the differences between a biblical and spiritual fast and a famine. A fast is when Christ followers abstain from food for a certain amount of time in order to devote their entire being to worship Christ. A famine is actually when food is scarce, when the cupboards are empty and the next meal is not being planned. If we think about it, our days revolve around food, do they not? We wake up in time in the morning to grab that cup of coffee and that breakfast before we head off to work or school. We have this break around lunchtime where we eat lunch and then the normal workday ends around dinner time so we can go home and we can share in a meal with our family around the dinner table. Or maybe for you in this particular season, the dinner table is in the minivan on the way to practice. But our day revolves around the food that we take in. We certainly would not decide to put ourselves in a place of famine where our food is Nowhere to be seen, but all too often we are okay with the famine of our spiritual lives where time with Jesus is nowhere to be seen. During a spiritual famine, we can start to normalize the all-consuming number of distractions and we start to normalize the misaligned priorities in our lives so that our hearts and our souls And our minds drift away from Christ. A spiritual famine quickly turns into spiritual fatigue. Just as if our body were to go 72 hours without any food, our bodies would be exhausted, they would be tired. And in the same way, with us in the middle of a spiritual famine, we would experience spiritual fatigue. Fatigue is where our burdens of our heart become heavier, where the sickness of our souls becomes normal and the suffering of our minds becomes inevitable. This idea of a spiritual famine is where we start to distance ourselves from Christ, from his word, from his community. This is exactly why Jesus speaks boldly to the crowd following him and says I am the bread of life Jesus is the feast to our famine this crowd wakes up and is desperately trying to find Jesus and as soon as they find him they start this odd Q&A with him rabbi when did you come here He says, listen, you're not searching for me because you saw signs, but because you were full yesterday and your stomachs are empty today. Don't chase after the food that only lasts for a little while, but chase after the food that endures to eternal life. Then they ask a second question, which isn't a bad question. This is actually a pretty good question. What must we do to be doing the works of God Jesus says the work of God is believing in him whom he has sent. And then without even taking the opportunity to believe, they ask this other question, well, what signs do you do that we may see and believe? And Jesus has got to be going, ah, you were there yesterday. Like, I mean, what more do you need? I took this, I took little Timmy's lunch and we we prayed over it and now you, now you all ate, but. You need another sign. They bring up Moses and the manna sent from heaven. And Jesus replies with, God sent you that manna, not Moses. But now my father gives you the true bread from heaven that will give life to the world. And the crowd says, yeah, we want that kind of bread. Give us that bread all the time. They bring up Moses and Jesus brings up an I am statement, which is how God defines himself to Moses in Exodus 3. And it's important to make sure that we are clear that when Jesus speaks in these seven I am statements in John's gospel, when he speaks in these statements, each statement represents a particular relationship of Jesus to a spiritual need of the people he is addressing. So if you want to go through and you want to study the seven I am statements on your own, ask yourself the question, what spiritual need is Jesus addressing here? You see, when he says, I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst, Jesus is speaking directly to the need of spiritual nourishment. Because the crowd he is speaking with is in a spiritual famine. Jesus is trying to help the crowd out in two major ways here. He's challenging the thinking of the crowd, and he's calling them into something new. He's challenging their misplaced priorities, and he's calling their distant hearts. Both of which play major roles in a spiritual famine. If there was an entry on WebMD for spiritual famine, the two major symptoms would be misplaced priorities and distant hearts. And we're going to look at both of those spiritual conditions this morning the first one misplaced priorities right the, the crowd that jesus is talking with right now in their minds believes that the temporary is greater than the eternal they believe that the temporary is greater than the eternal and jesus wants to come in and share with them that the eternal it's always greater than what is temporary. Jesus is speaking with a spiritually ignorant crowd. As their pursuit of Jesus is correct, their motives are completely wrong. They want Jesus to satisfy an immediate need. They're hungry again. They watched as Jesus took a little boy's lunch and turned it into a feast for thousands. And they want a similar need met That way, again, today, they want Jesus to provide for their physical appetite, all the while they have ignored their spiritual appetite. This crowd is looking for a miracle in all the wrong reasons. They're not looking for life change. They're looking for circumstantial change. They're looking for Jesus in order to ask the age-old kid question, when's dinner, I don't like that. Anybody else have that in their house? No? Just mine? Great. You don't like mac and cheese? What's. Anyway. (laughs) Jesus isn't interested in multiplying food again. He's interested in multiplying the kingdom. And that's why Jesus changes the conversation from living in the temporary to living for the eternal. Verse 26, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Jesus is offering them a gift He's offering this crowd a satisfaction like they've never experienced before. Maybe some of us can resonate with this. See, we've been pointing the finger a lot at this crowd, but if you and I were there, we would have fit right in. I think we can resonate with this crowd. The crowd is looking for their stomachs to be filled, but Jesus is looking for their lives to be changed. The crowd wants Jesus to perform, and Jesus wants them to transform. The crowd is pursuing Jesus for personal gain. Jesus challenges the crowd to pursue him for spiritual gain. Maybe that sounds a little bit like our stories, too. Their pursuit of Jesus is right. They wake up in the morning eager to see Jesus. They don't let their eyes stop them. They get up and they start moving around. They can't find him in their proximity. They get into the boats and they take off. They don't have directions. They don't know if that's even where Jesus is, but they keep searching for him. Their pursuit of Jesus is correct, but their motives are all wrong. Can Jesus provide for the temporary? Absolutely he can, and he does all the time. Is there anything wrong with the temporary? No. But when we place a higher value on what is temporary over what is eternal, then what is temporary becomes an idol in our lives. Is Jesus more interested in providing what is eternal? Yes. Which is why Jesus tells them in verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. But they don't believe. And they ask for another sign. Then they bring up Moses and the manna in Exodus 16. But they have misinterpreted their own story. They believe this story is, in Exodus 16, is a sign from God. But this is not a sign. This is a provision. There's a big difference. This is not God proving himself. He's not getting ducks to follow him, sprinkling breadcrumbs along the way. Come on, little guy. Let's go, Israelites. Come on. Jesus is not doing that. God is not doing that. This is not God proving himself, but providing for his people. There's a big difference. And I think we struggle with misplaced priorities all the time as well. We are just like this crowd. We tend to be more enthralled with the temporary than we are with the eternal. We come to Jesus begging for what we want rather than praying for what we need. We chase after Jesus expecting a miracle and become disinterested when he offers us a relationship, which is actually a miracle, right? Have you seen our lives? They're messed up. We would rather Jesus give us what we want now instead of preparing us for the kingdom now. This all revolves around our spiritual appetite. The question is, is, do we have an appetite for Jesus Or do we have an appetite for what Jesus can do for us? This is when the spiritual famine starts to take shape. This is when it starts. This is where the danger lights come flashing and there's a big sign behind you. Here it is. You want to know this? This is the danger spot. This is the, you're getting too close to the edge. When our misplaced priorities stop convicting us and they start to feel normal. That's the danger zone when our misplaced priorities stop convicting us and they start to feel like normal life. Like the crowd, we are looking for our stomachs to be filled, our wants to be heard, and our desires to reign over his will. But Jesus is reversing the priorities of the crowd because the eternal will always be greater than the temporary. So, symptom one is misplaced priority. Symptom two is a distant heart. There's a lack of connectivity with Jesus here in our story. They're connected to what he's done, but they're not connected to who he is. Jesus makes several clear and bold statements with the crowd, but his cornerstone statement is I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The second half of verse 35 talks about coming to Jesus and believing in Jesus. And this connection to Jesus, they would lack absolutely nothing. It's at this point where Jesus is wanting them to make a connection with him. He's asking for their allegiance here and it's odd that he would have to ask for that because if we go back flip that bible back one page or you know turn your phone around i don't know how that works but john chapter 6 verse 15 right after he feeds the 5000 it says perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself the d- 12 hours before Jesus felt there was a stirring in the crowd that they were going to force him to be their king. Let's rally the troops. Let's go overtake Rome. But now here, when Jesus doesn't give them what they want, but he asks for allegiance, they reject him. Jesus is trying to connect the dots for them here. And this is really a pastor's preacher's paradise, right? I mean, you have an experience that all of you have gone through at the same time together. And Jesus is going, listen, you guys remember how we ate yesterday? We ate. Everybody was full. We had all these leftovers. Leftovers are the best. This is so great. You guys remember that? And now this morning you wake up and you're hungry again? Yeah, we remember that. Well, that's why God sent me. Because I am the bread of life. Yesterday, they wanted to inaugurate Jesus as king because he gave them what they wanted. But today, when Jesus asks for their allegiance, they reject him. See, Jesus recognizes their hunger and thirst for something far deeper and far greater than what physical food can provide. But the crowd's distant hearts have blinded them from their greater need. See, this is why a distant heart from Christ is so harmful. It blinds us to the needs that we really have. Jesus is telling them to come to him and to believe in him. And they will have every need met, but they are functioning with distant hearts. There's a lack of connection to Jesus. And this, this crowd is a great example of a distant heart. Are you ready? This is just, it's just great, right? The crowd can identify what Jesus has done for them, but they will not make a deeper commitment to him. There's a difference from knowing what Jesus has done for me and knowing how Jesus is transforming me. This is another condition of experiencing a spiritual famine. This is another danger sign that approaches you when our hearts are distant from Jesus. This is a danger spot. This is you're about to go over the cliff. Our hearts are distant from Jesus. We've stopped investing in that relationship. We've decided that bread was enough. We've decided to go our own way. We claim we can do it on ourselves when we like our sin more than we love our Savior. When our hearts are distant from Jesus is when we are entering into a spiritual famine. But Jesus came so that the distant heart can be brought in close. I think it's important to note here that The crowd comes with these really dumb questions. They come with the wrong motives, but Jesus isn't pushing them away. He's calling them closer in. So if you hear nothing else today, know that your life doesn't need to be all spick and span to bring it to Jesus. Because he draws you in anyway. You don't have to Ajax the bathtub of your heart in order to come to Jesus. You just don't. They come with the wrong questions, with the wrong motives, and Jesus still calls them in closer. Just as Jesus tries to reverse the priorities of this crowd, he's now inviting them to be a part of his crowd. To take the bread of life that is given to them, to come in close, to believe in him, and out of this relationship, they will receive everything they've ever needed. This is what Jesus does for us, too. See, Jesus was not just the bread of life 2,000 years ago, but he's the bread of life today. Jesus invites us out of our spiritual famine to join him in his spiritual feast. When Jesus says that he is the bread of life, he is speaking to all of our needs, to all of our satisfactions, to all of our priorities, and to everything that is eternal. So what's the practical side of this? How does this help me Sunday afternoon through Saturday night? How does this help me get to my small group time? How does this help me get through the Monday? How does this help me get through Friday? How, how, how does this help me get through Saturday? What's the practical side of this here? I, in my study this week, I couldn't help but notice that there are lots of times in Scripture where bread is associated with wilderness. We've already talked about one of them this morning. Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 through 3, the Israelites who have been led out of Egypt by God through Moses, they're starting to complain. Why did you lead us out of slavery? At least back there we had food to eat. Out here we got nothing. So God sends them manna. Because they were in, they were wandering in the wilderness, right? They were wandering in the wilderness, and God sends them bread to eat every day. Now let's fast forward to 1 Kings chapter 19, where Elijah is running away. He's fleeing from Jezebel. He flees into the, preach this with me, the wilderness. Let's try that again. Four through six skaters are on top of this. If you guys are in the room, help these adults out, all right? Okay. Elijah is on the run. He's, on, he's fleeing to the wilderness, right? And all of a sudden, he, signs, he finds this broom tree. I don't know what that looks like, but he finds this broom tree. He decides that he wants to take a nap under this broom tree. But before he goes to sleep, he pleads with God to take his life from him. He pleads to not wake up from this sleep. He falls asleep under this broom tree and all of a sudden gets a holy tap on the shoulder. You ever had one of those? Scares you half to death. Um, He gets this holy tap on the shoulder and it's an angel of the Lord appears to him and gives him a cake bread. It says, arise and eat. Elijah gets up. He eats. He goes back to sleep. Again, gets that holy tap on the shoulder. It's the angel again that says, arise and eat. God's not done with you yet. Because you're not dead, God's not done. Get up, eat this food, and go. So we've got the Israelites who are wandering in the wilderness right good good job you guys are catching on this is great you've got elijah who flees into the wilderness right now let's fast forward to jesus let's fast forward to jesus i know that's a lot of fast forwarding let's fast forward to jesus matthew chapter 4 right after jesus is baptized he is led by the holy spirit now, that's a whole different sermon we can talk about that later he is led by the holy spirit into the wilderness yes you guys are getting this is so great I'm easily excited. He's led into the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan. The first temptation that Satan gives to him is to turn these stones into what? Bread. And Jesus replies, with, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, fast forward to John chapter 6. Verse 1. Matthew's gospel tells us that this crowd has followed Jesus out into desolate places, which means that they are in the wilderness. Yes. They're in the wilderness. The disciples are like, listen, these guys are a long journey from home. Like, we should send them home so they can go get something to eat. And Jesus goes, no, you give them something to eat. They bring little Timmy up with his little lunchbox. He opens up the Ninja Turtle lunchbox and he's got some fish and some loaves. Jesus prays over it, blesses it. God multiplies it. So you've got the Israelites who are in the wilderness. You've got Elijah who has fled to the wilderness, right? You've got Jesus who is being tempted in the wilderness, right? And then you've got Jesus feeding the 5,000 in a desolate place, which is in the wilderness. Now I know what you're thinking because you guys are all much smarter than I am. Justin, you said this story takes place in Capernaum. That's not the wilderness. You're right. 100% Correct but I think they're in the wilderness spiritually. I think they're in the wilderness spiritually. Jesus is offering them his life as bread because they are desperately suffering from a spiritual famine. This makes me think about us. This makes me think about me. This makes me think about you. This makes me think about us. Are we in the wilderness spiritually? Sure, our location is not. But are our hearts in the wilderness spiritually? Are we experiencing a spiritual famine? I guess that some of us are dealing with misplaced priorities. And I'd guess that some of us are experiencing a distant heart from Christ. And I'd guess that some of us are focusing more of our attention on the temporary rather than the eternal. So what do we do if we're experiencing a spiritual famine? What do we do... If we are experiencing a spiritual famine, if we are wandering off in the wilderness, well, the first thing is is we have to recognize our famine. We have to recognize our famine. We have to know when we are off track, when our hearts are far from God, when we have wandered into our own wilderness, when our priorities are messed up. We have to recognize our famine because when we recognize our famine we will start to recognize our need for jesus now i don't know where each of you are today as you came in these doors i don't know the burdens that your heart carried on the way in i don't know the sickness of the mind that that you carried in with you i don't know what is burdening your soul what you are carrying with you i don't know your individual stories Maybe you are like the Israelites and you are wandering around. You keep seeing God sprinkle his provisions everywhere. Maybe you're wandering. Maybe you're like Elijah and you're just exhausted. You've got some fatigue that has settled into your into your bones, into your body, into your soul, into your mind, into your heart. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you've even said, what's the point of continuing to go? Maybe you just need to have some cake and take a nap. That's biblical. (laughs) just Praise the Lord. But not devil's food. Ah, That's a bad joke. I'm sorry. Maybe you're wandering. Maybe you're fatigued. Maybe you are feeling under the constant battle of temptation. Every moment of the day, the devil seems to keep taking these knockout blows towards you. Jesus keeps holding you up. You need to repeat over and over and over again. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You need to allow Jesus to step in front of you and fight that battle for you. Maybe, maybe you're like our crowd this morning where you've seen Jesus do magnificent things. You've seen Jesus change lives. You've seen him transform little boys' lunches into feasts for thousands. But we have some misplaced priorities and we have some distant hearts. I don't know where you are this morning. But know that whatever stage of a spiritual famine we are in, Jesus is the feast to our famine. And he will always be the feast to our famine. We look for all of the wrong things in all of the wrong places to replace what only Jesus can be in our lives. It's time to come back to him. Time to come and participate in the feast that he has for you.